0: Best praise, faith, sir Come on, Lawrenceburg and souls. Come on, let's honor a merciful, good, and gracious Savior. Come on, somebody. Woo. Heavenly Father, today we just stand humbled and amazed at your grace and your mercy. God, you've blessed us and given us so much that we could never earn and we didn't deserve. And you've held back so much that God, we earned in our rebellion, in our refusal to honor you and follow you. God, you gave us mercy. And Lord, today we thank you that God, we are sons and daughters. We're children of God, not because of us, not because of what we've earned, not because of what we've done, but all because of your goodness and all because of your mercy. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Come on. And everybody who agreed said, amen. Come on one more time. Give God praise in this house. Come on give somebody a high five beside you at all of our campuses let somebody know come on you're glad to see him come on don't sit down and be a grouch come on show somebody some love real quick it's so good to see you guys hey welcome my name is steve husky lead pastor here at faith church and just want to say what a privilege and an honor it is we know it's already travel season people are already moving around and doing their things so thanks so much it means so much that you're here at our florence campus welcome can we show some love and welcome all of our faith church family in Lawrenceburg campus, our souls campus. Thank you guys for being in the house. Everybody else watching online. Again, if you're a faith family digitally or in person or you're a VIP, it's your first time, we wanna say welcome. We said every week, come on, we believe that Jesus, he is the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, your heartache or your habit, we believe that if you open up your life to Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made. Come on, how people already know that's true? Come on, give God some praise. Well, listen let me just jump into this by asking you a question how many of you have gone to a restaurant and had kind of a bad experience with the waiter or the waitress and it kind of get your bad experience gave you a bad attitude wait wave at me that's happened i think probably to all of us you know you go in for a meal and you know just sometimes the weight help just is not as helpful as you think they should be i mean it just happens it that's happened to sean and i several months ago we went into a restaurant to have dinner And everything just took an extraordinarily long amount of time. You know, like there's a rhythm when you go into a restaurant, you're seated and then they take your drink order and then they take your food order and then they bring your side. Like in between each of those things, it just took an extraordinarily long amount of time. You know, she comes and takes the drink order and I think she drove across town to get it, I'm not sure. And, you know, I ask, I ask rhetorical questions out loud when I get unhappy, like, what are they doing? Where is she at? So, you know, I'm, I'm asking my rhetorical questions. My wife doesn't know the answer, but I'm asking anyways. And, uh, you know, man, she's gone for a long time. She comes back and takes an order. And it just feels like it's like 15 minutes to get the salad. Then it's a longer time to get the main course. And so kind of the entire meal, I'm just a little agitated because it feels like it's taken this lady forever. And finally, she comes out at the end of the meal. She brings our check. And she says, hey, listen, I just want to apologize. I know the service wasn't great tonight, but I just wanted you to know we just got a brand new chef tonight. First time. It's his first time ever working in a kitchen. He's struggling a little bit. He's behind. And so in between waiting on the tables, I've been back there helping him cook some of the food and prepare some of the meal. Now, Uh how many people know that that little bit of information totally changed my perspective of that waitress? Like she went from being a zero to a hero. Like, I thought she probably needed to get into a new line of work. And I thought, wow, this lady is a champion. Instead of just doing her job, she's going above and beyond to try to make sure everybody has a great experience. So really what felt like was a long time waiting is because she was stretching herself. Come on, again, that information just gave me a new perspective of this woman. Now, the reason I say that is because did you ever realize the connection between vision and viewpoint? Vision and viewpoint are not the same thing. Vision is what you see. Viewpoint is how you see it. So vision is what you're looking at. Viewpoint is the perspective that you see it in. So again, I had a vision of how this waitress was serving us and it looked like she was slow. It looked like she was taking forever. But when I got information about what she was going through, it gave me a a brand new viewpoint. Viewpoint and vision. The, the reason I say that is because viewpoint is almost more important than vision. Because if all you have is vision and you don't have viewpoint, that's almost the same thing as being blind because what you're looking at isn't the full truth. Let me give you a couple more examples of vision and viewpoint. You might see somebody, and what you see, your vision of them, is they got a bad attitude, they have bad body language, but what you don't have is the viewpoint of the bad day they've had. And until you appreciate and have the viewpoint of the bad day, you won't understand the bad attitude. Come on, somebody. The same thing is true, come on, Lawrenceburg and Shoals, same thing is true when we have people walking every single Sunday, and everybody sits next to other people, and we all have our story, have you ever sat next to somebody and it seemed like their worship was a little bit too much and over the top? That's your vision. What you don't have is the viewpoint of what God has done in their life, how God has saved their marriage, how God has met a need, how God healed their child. Come on, when you get the viewpoint, all of a sudden you got a brand new vision. There is a difference between vision and viewpoint. And the challenge is it's not enough to have vision. We have to have a viewpoint. This is never more true than when it comes to our relationship with God. It's important that we have His viewpoint and not just our vision. Let me just give you just a bunch of different examples. Our vision of Moses or uh, of uh, Abraham and Sarah, for example, our vision of them was that they were an elderly couple that were barren and couldn't have kids. God's viewpoint of Abraham and Sarah is that they were pregnant with a nation. Our vision, for example, of Moses was he was a man with a stuttering problem out hiding in the desert. God's viewpoint of him was that he was the deliverer of the nation of Israel. Our vision of Gideon was that he was insignificant, hiding from the enemy, but God's viewpoint was that he was a mighty man of valor. Our vision of David was that he was an undervalued shepherd boy. God's viewpoint of David was he was a giant slayer and he was a king. Do y'all see what I'm saying? There's a difference between vision And viewpoint, our vision of trials that we go through, that's what we see, but God's viewpoint is it's an opportunity to build patience and strengthen our faith. When we go through problems, That's all we see. We see the problems. God sees part of his plan that he's working all things together for our good. We see people putting money and giving to a church. God sees people storing up treasure in heaven. We see mistake-filled men. God sees spirit-filled apostles. We see limited people with limited potential. God sees unlimited potential in people, and he sees his power working in them. It's all the difference of vision and viewpoint. And if all you see in life is what you see, you'll think that's all there is to see. But when you flip the script and you see from God's viewpoint, you see God's up to something and God is working, God is doing something. So if you're taking those, valuing God's viewpoint is necessary in succeeding in your spiritual journey. If you're gonna do what God's called you to do and you're gonna be what God's called you to be, if we're really gonna walk out our faith, it's not enough just to see with your natural eyes. We have to value God's viewpoint. Paul said it this way, right? That, the just, that, that we live by faith. We don't walk by sight. It's not just about our vision. It's about our viewpoint. Now, the reason I say that is we've been in a series uh, for this is our fifth week. This is the final week in this series. We've been having a conversation called The Box. And the box, if you've been here for this series, is this piece of furniture that God commanded Moses in the Old Testament to build. It was a piece of furniture. It was literally a box. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. Ark means box, which is why we call this series The Box. It was four foot long, two foot wide, and two foot high. Made of wood, overlaid with gold. But the purpose of the box is what made it so powerful. This box represented to the nation of Israel the presence of God. As long as they could see the box, God's with us. As long as the box was with them, it was this confidence that everything was gonna be okay. And so for us, tell them I'll call them back. (laughs) Put them on the spot. (laughs) It's like, for us, it's important that we make sure we understand that God's with us. We, We keep God's presence in our life, that we make God a priority. Last week we talked about what's in the box, the promises of the box. As we close out this series, I wanna talk about the perspective of the box that again, that we get this right, that we make sure we we don't just walk by vision, but we walk by God's viewpoint. And I want you to see back in the Old Testament where God gives us instruction, gives Moses instruction on this vital piece and component of the Ark of the Covenant. It's found in the book of Exodus, chapter 25, starting at verse 17. And here's what God commanded Moses as he told him how to build the box or the Ark of the Covenant. He says this, Then make the ark's cover, the lid. He says, here's what he calls it, the place of atonement. And all of our campuses say that. What did he call it? Oh, y'all are with me today. Go ahead. Give me all warm and fuzzy up here. (laughs) Then make the ark's cover, the place of atonement from pure gold. It must be 45 inches long, 27 inches wide. Then make two cherubim from hammered gold and place them on the two ends of the atonement cover mold the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover, making it all one piece of gold. The cherubim will face each other and look down on the atonement cover. With their wings spread above, they will protect it." So again, God is giving Moses instruction on not just the box, but now on this vital component called the lid. I call it the lid, but you'll see the writer is called the atonement cover. Everybody say that, the atonement cover some of you maybe who've been in church for a while, other translations call it the mercy seat. How many people have heard of the mercy seat? So the mercy seat, it's the atonement cover. Again, it's just the lid to the box, but here's why it's so important. And here's why I like the name, the atonement cover. The word atonement means to cover. The word atonement means to cover. So For the nation of israel part of their ritual part of their relationship with god part of the religion was they would celebrate once a year this most significant high holy day called the day of atonement it's not celebrated in the same fashion but still by orthodox jews today it's called yom kippur and on the day of atonement one time a year the high priest the most significant religious figure of the entire nation they would take and they would sacrifice an animal they would take the blood of that animal into the holy place where the ark of the covenant the box was and they would take that blood and they would spread it on the lid Now, i know if you're new to church that sounds really weird i get it but i want you to understand it was so significant it was so powerful because what they were doing it was a way that 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 animal basically took the place Of the sin of the nation of Israel, the animal took the fall, the animal took the punishment, and the blood was a way of covering over, come on, the sins of the nation of Israel. So God didn't see their sin, God saw the blood. Come on, somebody. I'm just telling you, that is so key. And it was because of the sacrifice, and it was because of the blood that the nation of Israel was able to find mercy with God. See, if you follow their history, they, they rebelled against God. They did their own thing. They went their own way. Just like you and I, come on. They didn't always follow God. They didn't always do the right thing. They made a lot of mistakes. They rebelled a lot. They did their own thing a lot. And ultimately, they deserved judgment, but God didn't give them what they deserve. Come on, because that's what mercy is. God gave them mercy because of the blood. Because of the blood, God's viewpoint of them wasn't their wickedness and the rebellion. God's viewpoint of them was mercy. Come on, is anybody thankful for mercy and here's why that conversation is important because while that's how the nation of israel received mercy from god we received mercy from god because jesus is our mercy seat Jesus is our atonement cover come on somebody see in the Old Testament I told you last week there were three things that were in the box one of the things I told you was the law was the Ten Commandments and I just want you to understand something that while the Ten Commandments God's word God's law is valuable there is a lid there is a lid to the judgment of God God will always judge rebellion to his word but there is a lid to his justice and it's his mercy it was the mercy that covered the law come on somebody thankful for mercy Watch this. So what I want you to see is in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul helps us to understand God's viewpoint of view. Now, I imagine in this room and all of our campus, we all have different visions of how we see ourselves, of how other people see us, of how we want to be seen. Vision's important, but viewpoint's more important. And God's viewpoint is the most valuable. So the Apostle Paul, he says this in Romans chapter 3, I want you to read this with me, everybody out loud. You did so good. Don't let me down now. All of our campuses, Romans chapter three, verse 23, Paul says this, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. If you're an everyone, raise your hand. Now I know we live in a season and a community of confused pronouns, but everyone is an everyone. Let's try it again. If you're an everyone, raise your hand. That's all of us. Now here's why that's so important is because the way Paul says God's viewpoint of you is, is God's viewpoint is everyone has sinned. Now, oftentimes that's not our vision. Our vision of people, oftentimes even our vision of ourselves, is we're good people. While our vision is that we are good people, God's viewpoint is, is that we are all broken people. That we're all sinful people. Now, the word sin doesn't get a lot of traction in our culture anymore, which has forced communicators like me to use words like mistakes. Hey, we've made mistakes. Hey, we've messed up. And that's true. But what's important for us to understand as people who want to follow Jesus is that making mistakes and messing up really doesn't equate to the true significance of the word sin. See, to make a mistake means I didn't mean to do it. It was an accident. Whoops. Oops but I just want you to know that I have said things, done things and acted things out. It wasn't a oops. It's what I I knew what God wanted me to do. I knew the right thing to do, but I said, I'm not gonna do his way. I'm gonna do my way. And that's different than a mistake. A sin means we were rebellious and we just did our own thing, which means we are not good people. We are broken people. We're rebellious people. The Bible says everyone has sinned. That's you. And that's me. What does it mean to be a sinner? It means our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all else. Jesus said in the book of Matthew that it's out of our hearts that flow all kinds of wickedness, evil desires and lust and adultery and lies and thievery. Now, if you think if you got your vision of you, then you ain't going to get this. But God's viewpoint is that we are broken and messed up and rebellious. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody here ever intentionally make a mistake? Come on. Anybody here know they're a sinner? Wave at me. Now, see, until you know you're a sinner, the good news of the gospel is of no good. That's right. See, if you think you're good, then you don't need a savior. That's right. If I told you that there is a sickness out there and it's going to kill you in 24 hours if you get it and you have all the symptoms of it. And I, have the, and I have the shot. If you don't think you got the symptoms and you're not concerned about the cure, but if you're convinced you got the symptoms and you got the sickness, you are interested in the cure, you might not have got the COVID vaccine, but you about to get the Jesus vaccine. <laughs> See, Jesus said, come on. He said, I, I, didn't, I didn't come for the healthy. If you think you're healthy, I'm of no good to you. Jesus said, I came to be the physician to the sick. And so God's viewpoint of you, view, isn't that your good? It's that you're broken. Isn't that you every now and then make a mistake. It's that you're a sinner. It's not that every now and then you do the right thing. It's that all of us are rebellious. And so he says, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. There's none of us righteous. No, not one. But verse 24, I love it. He keeps going on. He gives us more of his viewpoint. Watch this. Yet God in his grace, everybody read this, freely makes us right. In his sight. Ooh, I love it. He rhymed. Someone should have been beatboxing in the background. <laughs> Yet God in his grace, come on, say it. He freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. He's saying, so your vision of you is that you're good. My viewpoint of you is that you're sinful. Let's talk about Jesus because again, we live in a culture and we live in a society that has a different vision of who Jesus is. We oftentimes think that Jesus was just a religious teacher that offered another way to heaven, another way to the father. But God's viewpoint of Jesus is that he is God's sent son on a rescue mission to be the savior of the world, the Messiah of mankind. And he's not a way to the father. He's the only way to the father. That's God's viewpoint of Jesus. Come on. So do you all see how important it is to value God's vision and viewpoint over ours? How important it is to see things accurate because until you see you're sinful and until you see your need of a savior, you're disconnected from a heavenly father who loves you. But when you see how broken you are and Jesus came to be the sacrifice, Jesus came to make us whole and reconnect us. Come on. somebody. That's good news is we are broken, but Jesus came to make us whole. But again, it's sometimes it's about vision. One of the things that I know about church and one of the things I know about people is that we tend to be very critical very judgmental, very hard on each other. We hold other people to a standard we rarely hold ourselves to. And when people walk into a church and they're not living, not the way we're living, they're not living the way we think they should live. And they're not doing decisions and making decisions we think they should make. We tend to put undue weight on them. Now, here's what I want you to hear is, you might be one of those people that you feel like you're just, you feel shame and guilt and guilt and common condemnation and degradation. When you look in the mirror, you hate what you see. Sometimes you don't come to church. It's not because you don't wanna be here. It's because you just know you've messed up and maybe you feel like you've just gone too far that God can't love you. Here's what you need to hear. That might be your vision of you. In fact, that might be a lot of people's vision of you, but I've already told you, it's not about your vision. It's about God's viewpoint. And God's viewpoint is, I've made you right in my sight. I don't know what anybody else sees. I don't know what other people are looking at. But when I see you, you're right in my sight. Come on, that's the only sight that matters. I might disappoint you. Come on, I might let my kids down every now and then. I might frustrate my wife. But I've come to declare to everybody, while wow, we are all sinners, come on, we have been made right in his sight. And his viewpoint is more important than my vision. Come on, somebody. That's some good news. Come on, Lawrence Bergen Souls, that some good news and again it came the same way in the old testament that there was a an animal that took the weight and took the penalty and took the punishment so the blood could be put on the atonement cover jesus is our atonement cover it was his blood that was shed notice what verse 25 paul goes on he says this he says for god presented jesus as the sacrifice for sin People are made right with God when they believe Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Again, there is one of the things we celebrate in church is forgiveness. Forgiveness is really something powerful to celebrate, but forgiveness is not altogether biblical. Forgiveness is not theologically accurate. To get up and say, Jesus forgave your sin. It's not necessarily true. See, to forgive your sin sin means I've overlooked your debt. If you owe me $10 and I come to you for my $10 and you ain't got my $10 and I say, you know what? You don't owe it to me anymore. Don't worry about your debt. That's forgiveness. That's not what Jesus did. The father came to us to hold us accountable for our wickedness and our rebellion. He didn't look at us and say, I forgive you. He put the debt on Jesus. So if I came to you for my $10 and a buddy of yours stepped in and said, I'll cover the debt and pay the $10, I didn't forgive the debt. Somebody else paid it for you. You still owe the debt, but Jesus paid the debt in his blood. Come on, somebody. That's why we celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done. Come on, let me just make this real plain. Anybody here got a friend that used to cover for you? You know, what? come on, that's what it's called. It's called the atonement cover. What's atonement mean? To cover. Jesus covered your sin. I have had friends and I've had people in my background that have covered for me. Come on, somebody. They were watching my six. They helped my story. Come on, somebody. Jesus, when we talk about Jesus, Jesus is the one who, who, has, who, is, who has you covered. He's got you covered. The father doesn't see your sin any longer. In Christ, God's viewpoint of you view is you've been made right in his sight. When I was uh, probably seven or eight years old, my brothers, I had two older brothers. If you didn't grow up with older brothers, may the Lord bless you. There's a wonderful thing about being the youngest. I'm the youngest, where's all my youngers at? Come on, y'all know we had it the best, no rules. The younger, like the more kids you have, the less rules you have. I had no rules, but it it balances out because you got older brothers beating up on you. Until you had a boy four years older and you sitting on your chest doing this until you cried, you, you don't appreciate. So I had two older brothers, made it kind of hard growing up, but they were a blessing at times. Brother five, four years older and brother three years older. Both of them were good to me. I remember when I was about seven years old, they had locked me out of the house and in a, in a temper tantrum rage, I kicked the door. Ugh. And when I kicked it, the aluminum went whoop and just rolled up. And I was like, oh my gosh, my dad is coming home. Anybody remember like, mom, you're like, eh but dad's coming home. I'm like, oh my gosh. And here's what I want you to know is, man, why I did that, and I was raised in a generation where parents did things to kids then that they would go to jail for now. Come on. <laughs> Which I'm all for, because it made me who I am. And uh, you know reversible belts that's like one color on one side? My dad had a reversible belt. It was black on one side and death on the other. <laughs> and he would take his belt off and it had rows, rows of rivets. His old school belt. And he would beat us with that belt. When he got done, it looked like we got attacked by an octopus. (laughs) Just little circles everywhere. But, so I knew it. I was like, I kicked the Zor, I deserve the punishment. Dad's gonna come home. And I'm just gonna tell you, I had an older brother who took the fall. He had me covered. He said, dad, I'm the one who did it. Even though I deserve the punishment. Come on. My brother's the one who got attacked by the octopus. Come on. 2000 years ago, Jesus came. Come on. He took the fall for you. He took the punishment for you. He carried the guilt for you. He carried the shame for you. He carried the condemnation. for you. You did it, but you got mercy because of the blood. I wish somebody would make some noise in this house because Jesus has got you covered. The next time you feel shame, the next time somebody puts you down, the next time you don't feel like you measure up, stop looking at the vision of people and see the viewpoint of God. You have been made right in his sight. And that's the only sight that matters. Anybody here thankful for mercy? I'm glad because I'm only halfway home. And the second part is really what I came to say. Because the same way God has given you mercy that you didn't deserve, God now expects you as recipients of mercy to be dispensers of mercy. Because you've been given mercy, God wants you to give mercy. Because you didn't get what you deserve, God now expects you to stop giving others what they deserve and start giving mercy. I want to give you a couple verses. Are you ready? In the Old Testament, I have people ask all the time, pastor, what's God's will for my life? And when people are asking about God's will, do I date this person, do I go to this school, do I take this job, do I buy this house? What they wanna know is they acknowledge that God has a plan for us, and I believe that. I believe God has a very distinct purpose and plan for your life. He has your days numbered in his book. The problem is, I find a lot of Christians, a lot of young believers, is they want the minutiae details of their life before they're ever faithful to even try to walk out the big pieces of the gospel. Which means until you get more concerned with just loving God and less concerned with the career path, you won't discover the career path until you really fall in love with Jesus. When you do the big things, that's when the Holy Spirit will start to talk to you about the little things. Are are we tracking? And so what you want to know is, hey, what's God's plan for my life? I'm going to read it for you. It's found in the book of Micah. Lawrenceburg, I want you to hear this. God's plan for your life, Lawrenceburg. God's plan for your life, Florence. God's plan for your life, Shulz. Here it is. Micah chapter six, verse eight. I want everybody here to read it together. What does the Lord require of you? Anybody here want to know what the Lord requires of you? This is his plan for you, right? Here it is. Three things. Number one is what? Do justly. Do it again. What's he want us to do? He wants us to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly. The first part of this, God says, here's what I require of you. I require you to do justly. That means he don't want us just to talk about doing justly. He wants us to actually do justice. People who've experienced justice do justice. And because we've experienced the merciful justice of God, God expects us to do justice. We live in a society and culture, and here's the sad part of the season we're living in, is people who don't even know Jesus or more concerned uh, more concerned about justice than we are. Now, social justice is not the identical thing as biblical justice, but what I want you to hear is God's concerned about orphans, God's concerned about widows, God's concerned, come on somebody, God's concerned about alien, uh, illegal aliens, God's concerned about immigrants, God's concerned about the poor, all the people that sometimes society's concerned with. God said, we better be concerned with, because there was, a time you were an immigrant and God made you a citizen of heaven. There was a time you were an orphan and God made us a child of God. Come on. We used to be all, was a time we were a widow and God made us the bridegroom of Christ. So because God has shown us justice, he expects from you and I to do justice. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. That's the first one. Let me jump to the third one. The third one is he says, he says, I want you to walk humbly. Now, If you've been serving the Lord for a while, you'll start to think that your success in serving Jesus is based on how good you're doing, not based on what God is doing. We start to take credit for our successes. Let me give you a great example. When I got saved at 17, I didn't realize how much I cussed until I tried to stop cussing. I got three real people in the room. Every other word was the F word. And it wasn't first or finger or, well, sometimes it was finger, which was a representation of my, are you tracking with me? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know how much, how vile my mouth was until I tried to stop. And once I tried to stop, I realized how hard it was to stop. Now, here's why that's important, is because I started doing better and I, I started cussing less, but I still cuss, and now I hardly cuss at all. <laughs> oh, Stop. <laughs> And my point is, it might be easier for me to be like, look at me. I don't cuss anymore. I don't fight anymore. I don't go out and get drunk. Look at what I've done. And what I need to recognize is it's not what I've done. I need to walk humbly and recognize it was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the grace and the goodness of God. I'm changing not because I'm trying. It's because God is working in me. So don't take credit when you're doing good. Give credit where it's due. It's a God who saved you, past tense, and it's a God who's saving you, present tense, and it's a God who will save you forever and eternity. He did it. He's doing it and will do it. It's all him and not me. Walk humbly. Come on. But now what I want you to see is he gives us three things. What are the three things the Lord requires of us? I want you to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly. I want you to see that mercy is in the middle. God wants you to love mercy. Don't just fall in love with getting mercy. Fall in love with giving mercy. Mercy is in the middle. I don't think it's a mistake that there's three things and mercy is is in the middle. Let me show you another one. In the New Testament, Jesus is preaching his first recorded message called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter five, he records seven blessings, seven ways that you can experience God when you go through very specific seasons of life. He says, when you're persecuted for my name's sake, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Some of you have heard these are called the Beatitudes. What I want you to see is that there are seven beatitudes, and there are three on the front, and there are three on the back, and then mercies in the middle. Here's the one Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Come on, everybody, read it all of our campuses. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So what are the three things he wants to do? He wants us to do justice, love mercy and walk humbly. Mercy's in the middle. In all the blessings that God wants to put on your life, even when you're going through difficult seasons, Jesus, I believe intentionally puts mercy in the middle, which means if you've received mercy, which we have, you have been made right in God's sight. You didn't deserve it because you are wicked, because I am a sinner, because we do mess up, because we are rebellious, but it's not about what we see. It's about God's viewpoint and we have been made right in his sight. We deserve. We deserve judgment. God gave us mercy. There are lots of people in this world that you will encounter, that you will get in conflict with, that will deserve judgment. But God says, you've been given mercy. Give them not what they deserve. Show them mercy. Come on, somebody. What would happen in this world if we started to show people the same mercy that God showed us? We live currently in a cancel culture that just because you have a hard conversation somehow implies that feelings have to be heard. That we live in a current society and culture that just because you disagree means you have to disconnect. And I'm just telling you, that's not how your father in heaven sees it. Because if he disagreed with you and disconnected from you, you'd be in trouble. He disagreed with you, but he stayed connected because he gave you mercy through the blood. He stayed connected to us because he gave us mercy through the blood. And because we've been given mercy We're called to give mercy. What's it look like? Ty, will you come help me? I want to take you back to a verse I read in Exodus. And I want you to listen to the description of the the box, the lid that Moses is commanded to make by God. This is Ty Beckman. Ty is our uh, youth director here at our Florence campus. Show him some love. His wife, Morgan, is one of our worship leaders. She's doing a great job. Show her some love. So I want you to listen to this. What does it look like? How do you show people mercy? How do you show people mercy? Watch this. In uh, in Exodus chapter 25, verse 20, I want you to listen to what he says. He says, the cherubim, which were like angels, they were a type of angels. The cherubim cherubim will face each other and will do what? Everybody, you got to say that. All of our campuses, what will they do? They'll look down on the atonement cover with their wings spread above it, they will protect it. So I want you to imagine that this is, this is the box and this is the lid. Ties an angel and so am I. I know that part is very easy to imagine. So I want you to notice what God says. God says these angels, they're not looking at each other. You're not always going to see eye to eye. The angels, the cherubim, are not looking at each other in the eye. You will not always see eye to eye with people. There are times you will disagree. There are times you will want to disconnect. Listen, you're going to disagree with people politically. You're not always going to see their lifestyle. You're not always going to agree with their choices. In fact, not just with their choices, but sometimes people might do something to you, and because they do something to you, you want to get even. You want to make it right. You want to take them to court. You want to sue them. You want to gossip about them. You want to cut them down. And while all those things are natural, they're not supernatural what's supernatural is to show people mercy he says that's what i want you to do so how do you do it so notice if they're not looking eye to eye what does the bible say where are the cherubim looking where what's down what's down is the atonement cover but specifically what's on the atonement cover is what blood what god wants you to do is when when god looks at us he doesn't see us we are covered in the blood of jesus which means god doesn't see our wickedness and our mistakes and our shortcomings god sees the righteousness of his son jesus credited to our account when god sees you he looks through the blood now he says when you look at each other i want you to look down i want you to look at each other how through the blood what was on the cover was the blood which means they saw each other through the reflection of the blood. What would happen if you quit seeing people through their shortcomings, stop seeing people through their mistakes and start seeing people through the blood. But wait, he says, don't, they don't just look down, but notice also they got these wings and the Bible says the wings are extended. Come on, put your wings out. (laughs) Angels in the outfield. Come on, somebody. (laughs) This is the cover. He says they got their wings out. So this is the picture now, here's why this is important is because you're going to have all kinds of people that are going to want to contribute to your vision of other people. And what God is saying is you just need to shut that out. You need to shut that opinion off. You need to log off of that social media site. You need to quit listening. what those. Well, if I were you, if I were in your shoes, it doesn't matter because what God called me to do is not what you might do. God's called me to show mercy because I got mercy. So I'm going to shut all that stuff out. And all I'm going to see is I'm going to see them through the blood. Come on, somebody. What would happen if you saw people through the blood? thank you Todd my wife and I today we celebrate 29 years of marriage 29 years we dated for almost five years uh, before that so we've been together for almost 34 years hard to believe we started dating when I was three you know the secret to a marriage How do you make it? Because I don't know if you're paying attention. A lot of marriages don't make it 29 years. It's because most people want to get even. Let me tell you, there's nights I deserve to sleep on the couch. I'm t- this is true. My wife is, and I'm not saying this because I'm in love with her. I'm telling you, my wife is is pretty close to perfect. It's kind of sickening to live with, because I always find myself I'm the one always having to say I'm sorry. It's a weighty responsibility, but someone has to do it. (laughs) But I'm just telling you, there's times, there's times maybe we should have got divorced, should have walked away, should have abandoned each other. But she didn't see my mistakes and I didn't see her shortcomings. I had to see her through the blood. Your spouse is not, never was, and never will be perfect. And in their imperfection, you will want to give them justice. And God says, give them mercy. Mercy can save a marriage. If you quit seeing them through your expectation, not that you shouldn't have expectations, not that you shouldn't be treated well, not that your marriage shouldn't be healthy, I'm not saying any of that, but I'm saying when your expectations are not not met, stop putting judgment on them and start showing mercy. See them through the blood. What would happen if not just your spouse, but your siblings? Some of you in this room or some of you in Lawrenceburg, and you're separated from your siblings over a two or $3,000 estate. And, I, and you can justify it all you want. But God says, stop judging them and start showing them mercy. See your brother and sister through the blood. Start seeing your community and your culture through the blood. You're not always going to see eye to eye with your coworkers. You're going to disagree. It doesn't mean you have to separate. You might have difficult conversations, but it doesn't mean you got to disconnect. We have to see each other through the blood. What would happen this week when someone hurts you? Someone takes advantage of you. You disagree with somebody. What would happen instead of seeing them through, I'm gonna get even. I'm gonna get what's coming to me. I'm gonna do what everybody else says. What if you quit seeing through your vision and we start seeing through God's viewpoint? You can be mean or you can show mercy, but you can't do both. We live in a culture right now that's just plain, mean and nasty. Mean and nasty with umpires calling four-year-olds games. It's a ball! Are you kidding me? Here's here's a crazy, outrageous idea. How about we treat it like a four-year-old's t-ball game and look through the lens of the blood and show mercy. I know that's how, what would just, what would happen? You can be mean, I can be mean, or I can show mercy, but we can't do both. Here's the crazy thing, is sometimes we think being mean will change people. If they just see what they did to me. The Bible says, as far as our relationship with God, listen to this, Lord, it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. It wasn't that he was getting evil with me. What led me to him was his goodness to me. What led me to God wasn't that he gave me what I deserved. It's that he didn't give me what I deserved. He gave me mercy. So mercy is is what's gonna change our culture. It's mercy that's gonna change your marriage. It's mercy that's gonna change your family. It's mercy. And so I, I wanna make an effort in my life to show people the mercy that's been shown to me. In fact, the life I'm living, my wife and I were tithers and givers. Not because I feel like I'm trying to buy God's love. You can't buy God's love. You can't earn it. What I'm just trying to do is I'm just trying to honor the God who showed me mercy. I have laid down my life to do what honors God. And it's, it's caused at times my kids a price and sometimes unnecessary stress on my marriage. But Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll sit on whatever board you want me to sit on. I'll reach whoever you want me to reach. You know why? Not because I have to, because, because of your great mercy, God. I want to honor you because you've loved me. I Want to live up to your viewpoint of me. What would happen if you started just living? You can't pay it back. What God's done for you, you can't pay it back, but you can pass it on. You can't pay back the amazing mercy that we wake up to that's new every day. You can't pay it back, but you can pass it on. And I just believe that when you look at scripture, God isn't looking for you to be perfect. He's just looking for you to be merciful. You know why? Because you're not perfect and you got mercy. And if you got it, pass it on. So Father, in the name of Jesus, this is hard because God, we do want to get even. There's times we feel indignant and frustrated and taken advantage of. There's times we're angry and we're mad and we're upset. Lord, I pray in those moments that we would remember, Lord, you felt all those same things towards us and you gave us mercy. And so Lord, help us to see those around us through the blood, to not give them what they deserve, but to show mercy. I pray, Father, help us in Jesus' name to change our viewpoint. Just this week, what would happen if you saw every person you came into contact with through the blood? If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you need a savior and only Jesus is that savior. And the reason I can say that is because he's the only one who came to rescue you. And he's the only one who carried the weight of your sin. He's the only one who died in your place. The Bible says, if we'll put all of our hope in him, just trust him that he's a savior who loves us, who died for us. And if you'll put your hope in him as your savior, the Bible says in that moment of believing, in that moment of trusting him, that you're forgiven, that you're made right in his sight forever. And I'm gonna lead in a very simple prayer. If you're watching this at any of our campuses or you're here, and today you wanna give your life to Jesus, as I pray this prayer, if you'll follow me and turn to Jesus, you can walk out of this place a child of God. Just say, Father, I put all of my hope in you. I confess my sin, my rebellion, my brokenness, and my wickedness. And I thank you that you didn't give me the judgment I deserved, but you gave me mercy. And so I receive it, and I thank you for it. Help me to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees, said amen.